Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. A couple of years ago, a newspaper article featured a story about a 51-year-old ex-convict named Robert Salzman. After a terrible, terrible childhood, Salzman spent most of his adult life in prison. Um, And when he was released from prison in 2001, he found it extremely difficult to uh, keep a job and pay the rent, and he bounced from one homeless shelter to another for several years. Finally, in June of 2010, Salzman had a a grace-like experience. He was riding a New, New York City subway when he was discovered by a director who was working on a new film and he was searching for someone who could play a tough-looking former convict in the movie. And after an audition, he actually gave Salzman the role, even though he had no acting experience. But in the months that followed, Robert Salzman found it very difficult to get used to the idea that he was free. He, he, he had a hard time believing that he'd actually been set free from prison. So on one occasion, while they were filming on location in a penitentiary, the exhausted Salzman lay down on a cot inside of one of the prison cells. And when he awoke a little bit later with a start, he was confused and, and thought for a moment that he was still a prisoner. And he actually began to weep uncontrollably until it dawned on him that he he was in fact a free man. Salzman was overwhelmed with the joy of knowing that he could walk out of that cramped prison cell and outside the prison walls and enjoy his life of freedom. As those who trust in Christ, regardless of the past, regardless of the prisons that held us, we have been enabled by the power of God to leave a life of slavery behind and fully step into a life of freedom. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. But you know, every once in a while, every once in a while, some believers in Jesus become confused and they actually begin to act as if they were still prisoners. And Peter was one of them. That's what happened to Peter. In our study this morning, we're actually going to look at a passage in Galatians chapter 2. So please turn to that passage in your Bible this morning. Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Uh, Take your Bible or your Bible app and open it up to that passage. This deals with a, a moment in time when the Apostle Peter actually had a, I'll call it a spiritual relapse. He became a prisoner again. You may recall from a few weeks ago that Galatians chapter 2 opens with this uh, uh, account of a meeting that took place in Jerusalem, an important meeting that was uh, essential for the freedom of the gospel. And Paul went to this meeting with Titus uh, because he was worried that his ministry would be stifled eventually by the Judaizers and uh, false teachers. Now, nothing was threatening Paul's certainty, but something was, was threatening his his spiritual fruitfulness. And if Paul had given in to these so-called false brothers, 
then the gospel as we know it would have been destroyed and absolutely neutralized. So the stakes were very high, and he knew it. The false brothers who had infiltrated the church wanted to bring the believers back into slavery by demanding that these people who had already come to faith in Jesus Christ also add the law of Moses and all kinds of rules and regulations to their walk with God, and especially circumcision. But Paul says, wait a second, the true gospel brings freedom. The gospel of God brings liberty and not more bondage. And so every believer in Jesus needs to fight for freedom. Every one of us, every believer in Jesus Christ needs to fight for freedom. Romans chapter 8 verse 2 says, The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You've been set free. And there are all kinds of things and all kinds of people that, that come at us that try to steal our freedom. So we need to keep fighting for the freedom that we have. And that's what makes Peter's blunder so incredibly dangerous. So as we look at these verses this morning, we want to look first of all at Peter's blunder. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes, But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So what did Peter do that was so harmful? When Peter first arrived in Antioch from Jerusalem, he ate with these Gentile Christians. With, he ate with people who were Jewish, so his old Jewish habits had been overcome. He did not consider himself defiled or polluted in any way as he would have previously. So he, he didn't mind having contact with these Gentile Christians in Antioch. Instead, he welcomed them to eat with him. And he ate with them. Everything was good. No problem. Kosher laws no longer applied. But then one day, a group from Jerusalem came to Antioch and began to impose the law on these new converts, on these new Christians. They were trying to enslave them to the law of Moses and especially to circumcision. Now, they were all professing believers. And that's the, that's the part that's a little confusing. They trusted in Jesus Christ, but they also added the law. They, they felt that people needed to be circumcised and still follow this list of rules and regulations. When they arrived in Antioch, they began to preach. And Acts 15 tells us what they preached. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Say what? Are you kidding me? And apparently they won Peter over. Because Peter, who had previously eaten with these Gentile Christians, now pulled away from the table. And he would only eat with his Jewish brothers. But why? Why, why did Peter create this disastrous breach 
in the fellowship of the church in Antioch. Why did he give in to these men? Does that seem confusing to you? Dare I say that you only have to look in the mirror to discover why? Like the ex-convict Robert Salzman, Peter seemed confused and behaved as if he was still a prisoner of the law. And you and I often do the same thing. (laughs) He did not behave like a believer freed by grace. He behaved like a Jew bound by the law. And Paul gives another explanation, another side of things in verses 12 and 13. He says, before certain men came from James from in Jerusalem, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. Everything was good. But when they came from Jerusalem, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. This is a very serious charge. This charge of hypocrisy. And Paul makes it pretty public. Peter and the others were acting out of the fear of men and not out of their own spiritual conviction. They were acting hypocritically and they were leading other people astray in the process. They withdrew from the table fellowship with these Gentile believers not because of any theological principle or theological conviction but simply because they were afraid of this tiny special interest group. Is that ringing any bells? Are there any special interest groups in the church of Jesus Christ today? Yeah, and we're afraid of them. They feared man more than they feared God. In fact, Peter did in Antioch precisely what Paul had refused to do when he was in Jerusalem, namely, yield to pressure. Have a look at Galatians 2.5. I think I might have the wrong reference. I've got 1.5 up there. It should be 2.5. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, Paul said. Remember that? Um, he's not, even, not yielding to these guys in Jerusalem, not at all, because if he yields in one point in the gospel, the whole gospel becomes whitewashed. We didn't yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So, Peter still believed the gospel. Peter still believed the gospel but he wasn't practicing it. Had a momentary relapse, spiritual backwater. He failed to practice it, and that's the same problem that many of us experience. We know the gospel. We love the gospel. But we don't always practice it. And that's unfortunate because... There are always an enormous number of people who are standing ready at full attention to say, Ah, you hypocrites. You're a hypocrite. You say you believe it, but you don't live it. You say you believe it, but you don't practice it. You preach it, but you don't walk it. Neighbors, friends, co-workers, classmates, 
There's always a lot of people who are ready to make that charge. Well, what happened as a result? We have already seen in Galatians 2.13 that the rest of the Jews followed suit. How sad is that? But you see, they were following a couple of very influential guys. Peter and Barnabas. Influential men who had momentarily relapsed in their walk with God. They acted hypocritically along with Peter, it says, so that even Barnabas bought into this deception and was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas, Paul's trusted friend and missionary colleague who had stood firm with him in Jerusalem, now capitulates in Antioch. Even Barnabas. Can you believe it? I mean, I could only imagine the, fo- the Facebook posts back in the day. Can you believe it? Barnabas! And they'd put up a picture. So everybody would know. How shameful. How disappointing. Friends, this is another reason why consistency and faithfulness is so important in our lives. Because there are people watching us all the time. Your kids are watching. Your grandkids are watching. Your unsaved wife is watching. Your unsaved husband is watching. People are watching, watching, watching. Workmates are watching. Listening to conversations that you have at work with other believers. And they're watching you and judging you all the time. We don't live in the fear of men. But we also want to maintain a life of consistency and faithfulness so that we can continue to influence people with the grace of God. Isn't that right? And if Paul had not taken a stand against Peter that day, the whole Christian church would have drifted into Jewish backwater and stagnated. So I'm glad Paul stood up to Peter. Glad it wasn't me, but he stood up to Peter and made a case for the gospel all over again. So let's have a closer look now at Paul's rebuke. Galatians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So so Paul calls Peter out for his hypocrisy. And he opposed Peter to his face. The scripture says, in front of everyone present, before them all. So he didn't do the Canadian thing and take him off to the side, into a little side room, you know. Hey, Peter. No, it was just right there in front of everybody. He confronts him. Did he forget who Peter was? Peter. 
I mean, did he forget that Peter had been appointed an apostle before him? Did, did he forget that Peter was, was like a pillar of the church? Did, did he forget that Peter had been commissioned by Jesus to be a, an apostle to the circumcised as he was to the uncircumcised? The answer is no. Paul forgot none of that, but he didn't really care. It didn't stop him from confronting Peter to his face, even in public. See, the consultation in Jerusalem in the early part of Galatians chapter 2 was in private. That confrontation was in private. It was a private meeting behind, behind closed doors. The confrontation in Antioch is public. Very public. Peter's blunder had caused a public scandal, so Paul's rebuke was public also. The truth of the gospel was at stake. So Paul wasn't going to take any chances, even if it meant that he hurt Peter's feelings for a moment or two. Even if there was potential for a a riff, a, a, a schism between these two men of God, he was going to stand with the truth and not take a chance that more people would be led astray. Oh, that God would give us men of courage to do that today. I'll never forget in my formative years as a young Bible college student sitting in a church, my home church in Regina, Saskatchewan, and we had a guest speaker this one morning, and I mean, I thought the guy did a pretty good job. Uh, It was, I mean, I was a new believer and a new Bible college student, so some of it was kind of going over my head. But I'll just never forget the moment after the guy finished preaching and our music director went to stand at the pulpit and lead the closing song and the senior pastor just kind of goes like this, you know, just walks up very very carefully and humbly says to the, our congregation, thank you, brother, for your very uh, good presentation this morning. But you're wrong on one point and I need to correct it for the sake of the flock of God. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop on the carpet in that sanctuary that seated a thousand people. And I don't think I had any air in my lungs for about three and a half minutes. I just sat there. What is he going to say? But he said it in such a loving, kind, gracious, generous, biblical manner that by the time he was finished, the guest speaker was nodding his head and checking his Bible going, Pastor Sipley, you're right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. Thank you. See? Folks, there's a lot at stake. And sometimes we just need to, for the sake of the gospel, say to folks, yeah, that's not quite true. Let's look in our Bibles and discover what God says about that. The truth of the gospel was at stake and any deviation from the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone is unacceptable. Paul was not willing to tolerate any deviation from the gospel and I don't think we should tolerate it either. 
At the beginning of the letter to the Galatians, you remember Paul pronounced a a fearful curse on anybody who distorts the gospel. He said in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be cut off from Christ, is what it means. And now in Antioch, some of the same vehement loyalty to the gospel is recognizable. And Paul stands up to Peter because his behavior has contradicted the gospel of grace. So Paul is determined to defend and uphold the gospel at any cost, even at the expense of publicly humiliating a brother apostle, even at the expense of of, of hurting someone's feelings. He says, that's not true, and this is the way it is. And now I want to look at our connection. What is our connection to all of this? I mean, how, do we, how do we respond to this? Uh, what, what difference does all of this make to us? That was in Jerusalem, and then the latter part of chapter 2 in Galatians, that took place in Antioch. What about Windsor? Does any, does any of that apply to Windsor? Well, let's have a look at verse 15. Galatians 2 and 15 says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So how do we connect to this? Well, in the first place, we cling to this teaching by affirming that we are justified, we are counted righteous, we are declared righteous by God, not by works of any kind, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? We're justified by faith. But what is justification? Justification is the gracious act of God by which God Himself declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. So there's a whole lot more that happens when a person steps into faith in Christ, when they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We like to focus on the subjective side of your sins will be forgiven. And that's true. Right? That's true. People's, your, your sin is forgiven the moment you step into faith in Jesus Christ. But there's so much more that goes on behind that. I mean, in a forensic sense, in a legal sense, God declares you righteous. And that's a gift you cannot buy, you can't manipulate it, you can't maneuver it. It's a gift from God. He declares you righteous and begins to see you and your life, past, present, and future, through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! That's justification. And you can't add circumcision, and you can't add baptism, and you can't add confirmation, and you can't add Holy First Communion, and you cannot add confession to a priest, you cannot add participation in a Holy Wednesday night prayer meeting. There is no human effort that can be added to justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. It stands by itself. Because the minute you start adding those things and requiring those additional steps for salvation, you're preaching another gospel. And we ought to say so. 
That's another gospel. And we have no time or space for another gospel here. Our fight for freedom depends on that truth. We need to keep fighting for freedom of that truth. So let's keep going. Galatians 2.17, but if our endeavor to be justified in Christ, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. (laughs) So how do we connect? Well, we're no longer under the impossible burden of trying to earn acceptance with God through our own efforts. It's not by works of the law. It's only by faith. We have already gained God's approval by faith through our relationship with Jesus Christ. God already approves of us. We don't have to work to make Him happy. He's already happy. And in this new relationship, we have an amazing new freedom to live life in a way that pleases God. We we get to live life in a way that, that pleases Him. And that brings us to verse 20, where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Our former self, the person that we were before we embraced Jesus Christ by faith, with all of our sinful goals and our proud, self-exalting desires, All of that came to an abrupt end the moment we died in accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is no longer I who live. What does that mean? Well, it does not mean that we no longer have personality of our own, but rather that our own personal interests and our own personal goals no longer direct our lives. It's no longer I who live. Rather, Christ lives in us now to guide us and direct us along the pathway of life. And this is where the rubber meets the road in this ongoing fight for freedom. How then does a crucified man or woman gain any strength to go on living? Well, Paul answers that. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's how you do it. Paul seems to be saying that as we trust Jesus, as we trust Jesus moment by moment, day by day, as we trust Him, then Jesus works in us and through us to give us spiritual effectiveness in all that we do. Does that make sense? The ex-convict, Robert Salzman, was overwhelmed with the joy of knowing that he was free. On the other side of the prison walls, he he could really experience what it meant to be a free man. And regardless of your past, you can leave all of that behind. You do not have to be bound by your past. You do not have to be bound uh, by a, a set of rules and regulations that are imposed by someone else. 
You can be set free from a life of sin and condemnation and joyfully step into the freedom that God has waiting for you. We'll come to this verse in in a few weeks when we get to Galatians 5, but verse 1 in Galatians chapter 5 has got to be one of my favorite verses in chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back into that prison cell. Don't fall asleep. Don't be confused. Understand who you are. You have been set free by the gospel of grace. So live like it. Live like it. Don't make the same mistake as Peter made. Don't don't live your Christian life according to a set of man-made rules and regulations. That only makes you a prisoner all over again. See, you you and I have been set free from slavery to sin so that we could become slaves to righteousness. So, Jesus died the life that we could not die. He he died the death we could not die. He lived the life we could not live. And He paid the price so that we could be completely set free and walk in grace and have not only the power to obey, but also the desire also. See, because when when you walk, when you truly walk in grace... You're concerned about obedience. You're concerned about living according to the truth of God. You want to obey Him. It's no longer a sense of duty or or have to. It's because by the grace of God, I've been saved and set free so I can become a slave of righteousness and learn to obey out of a heart of gratitude. And that changes everything. The gospel changes everything. The life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself. Why? Just because he loves you. Thank you, Jesus. Now walk in that freedom, brothers and sisters. Let's pray together. Father, you are constantly turning to us and constantly running to us in the gospel. Father, you're inviting us and imploring us and pleading with us just to get on the dance floor of your grace to enjoy the music of reconciliation, to sing again the songs of redemption, to make merry to the glory of God. Lord, you constantly remind us that we are free in Christ and that we must not, we we cannot submit again to a yoke of slavery. It was for freedom that you set us free. And so, so, Lord, we take our stand again today against the schemes of our mortal enemy, the devil, and against the legalism of our day so that we can live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. Lord Jesus, Your your glorious gospel exposes and sabotages our whining and our envy and our grumbling and our greed. Oh, Father, thank You for Your never-ending patience with us and Your unlimited kindness. For I have decided to follow Jesus No turning back. No turning back. We pray all of this in the most praiseworthy name of Jesus this morning. Amen.
Amen.